0: Hello everyone. Welcome to the thirty-seventh episode of In the Between. My name is Nadia, and this is Danny. And today we have a special guest with us, Len Chai. Hi, welcome. Hello. Hi.
1: Thank you for having
2: me.
1: <laughs> so, Danny's going so happy to have you <laughs> here. Yes. Yeah.
2: Um, well, we wanted to have Len with us um, before uh, when she was having her exhibition at Objectives Gallery. So it's really cool that we're able to do this podcast um, to find out more about your work and how, how you come up with your ideas. So Len Chai is a photographer and director who, as she says, once fell into the sea while photographing Lily Cole. Mm-hmm. Um, Len is now back in Singapore, um, but has been based in New York for the past year and a half. And she's known for her dreamy female-centric and romantic photography with a really beautiful eye for
0: composition and whimsy. Thank you <laughs> So let's just dive right in. Um, and you know you've been photog- photographing for almost a decade now. Could you let listeners know how you got into photography to begin
1: with? Um, yeah, so first of all, thank you so much for having me and for all the kind words that I don't think I deserve. Uh, I am overwhelmed by it. I'm overwhelmed <laughs> by this kindness, <laughs> nice words <laughs> and all these adjectives um, but I, so I I studied. Uh, in Nian Poly, I did mass communication. I thought I was gonna become a graphic designer. And then what happened was that I took a photojournalism module that was at that time taught by then ST photojournalist, uh, I think his name is Mugilan, Mugi. So Mugi taught me and he was like, hey, you're so into fashion, do you wanna shoot for urban? And I was like, oh my God, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I times for my internship, uh, I was there for I think six months. I was nearly fired three times. I was very very bad. What?
0: job. Yeah, I was really bad
1: at my job. I got caught like sneaking out during my internship to go for a magazine interview, like to try and get another job. And like, <laughs> um, I I was super irresponsible and I was very bad. I wasn't bad at photography, but I had no technical knowledge whatsoever. So. I am one of those strange cases where I jumped straight into professional photography without any like hobbyist experience or without any like amateur photography experience. Um, so I was definitely totally under-equipped to be interning there. It was a baptism through fire, a crash course in hell. Um, <laughs> but it also like really taught me how to be responsible. Um, so after that incident, I feel like it really like whipped into me like, okay, work ethic is important to me. <laughs> This is how I should be as a responsible human being. Um, and that's kind of how it began.
0: Okay. Um, and how would you describe your aesthetic and how it's evolved, you know, from the very first days at Urban, you know, through all your magazine work, your personal projects?
1: Wow. Um, I think there has been a very clear, like, very, very funny to talk about, but there's been a very clear goal in my mind from the beginning, which is that I really want to shoot for Miu Miu. Like, I really, really want to shoot a Miu Miu campaign. <laughs> so I think from day one, like, in my head, regardless of what campaign I was shooting, I was always thinking, like, what would Miu Sha Prada like? Or, like, what would a Miu Miu campaign look like? So I think that's been, like, secretly guiding me this whole time. So as my understanding of fashion and also, yeah, I think as my understanding of photography uh, improved or deepened, my, my style started to change as well. So in the beginning, it was very girly. It was very whimsical. It was very, like, soft. Um, Because that was my idea of what beautiful fashion was And that was what I could relate to at that time I mean, I started pretty young I was, about 19 when I started shooting professionally Um, So I think there was a lot of that And then as I travelled more And I think that was really a very big formative part of my experience As I travelled more um, As I hung out with designers like Mashup That, you know, (laughs) the collective Danny used to be a part of um, it really started shaping my understanding of what fashion could be or could do and what photography could be and all these collective experiences I think made my style more, um, I feel like there's a real uh, social, how should I phrase it, I feel like there's a lot of commentary now in my work that wasn't present before. Um, there is a lot of like, I'm, I'm, th- I'm thinking a lot more and I think it's showing in my work basically.
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, we met through Mashup, you were one of our models for uh, Fashion Week. Um, and I think you don't give yourself enough credit. I'm sure you were not that terrible. Uh, you also had a fashion blog. And so you you were immersed in aesthetics and, and fashion in that sense. And we worked together for a few, quite a few photo shoots. And one of them that I remember the most is uh, Mashup High where we were kind of inspired by 1980s films, teenage films. And there was where I saw your um, a bit of your process, like your little sketching and stuff. So I would like to ask you, how do you approach a shoot from concept to post-editing in terms of like, do you do mood boards? How do you do your research, casting? Are you involved in that process?
1: Right, I'm super involved in every single part of the process. I'm really a dictator, it's, ter- it's terrible. <laughs> um, so, right at the beginning, I think what I care about the most is like very marketing almost kind of questions, like what's the goal of this shoot? What are we trying to achieve here? Um, what does this, um, for example, designer want to communicate? And then that's the starting point and then I go into this very intense like research phase where for example for Mashup, I think I watched Heathers and I rewatched Mean Girls um, and then I also think a lot about um, what previous photographers have done for the same topic and then also think about if there is a way to talk about it in a way that hasn't been done yet or isn't as commonly done or is, if there's a way to talk about it in a Singaporean context so from that point um, I start mood boarding and then usually when I have an initial mood board I present it to the client or the designer or whoever I'm working with and then from there it's a matter of like sourcing or like overseeing the sourcing process to make sure like all the props look right all the set looks right and then Usually, like I think about the week leading up to the shoot, that's when I start sketching my very elaborate uh, stick figures. Um, yeah, um, I've gotten, I've gotten, <laughs> I've gotten. People have said all kinds of things about them, like, "How? Like, is this? A, like, you know?" For example, I can draw a person's head, and they're like, "Is this a hockey stick?" Uh, and yeah, just I'm really, really good at drawing. So anyway. <laughs> So once I reach that phase, it's about showing it to the team and saying, like, this is kind of the vision I have in mind. What do you have to add to it? Like, do you think there's any kind of hair that makes more sense for this direction we hit it in? Are you able to visualize what I'm talking about? Now now I've upgraded, my sketches even have lighting inside. So I can even tell people, like, this is the kind of lighting I have in mind. Is there anything in your head that would make sense based on what I'm going to do? So like, I would argue like, my shoots, like 99% of it actually happens in pre-production. And the actual shooting day is just me putting all the ingredients together. Mm.
2: <laughs> so kind of related a bit to that, but um, a lot of people, a lot of students also um, use things like Instagram and Pinterest for research. And so there's lots of images around. So how do you make sure that you stay on original in your concepts and your research? Like for example, um, one of your shoots was uh, Laundry Day, and I saw that you had like bamboo poles that are used a lot in HTVs in Singapore. So it's very specific to this place.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So in if, okay, I think there's two types of shoots I do. One is like very, very, very driven by my own experience. So like Laundry Day is one of them. Um. Or even my three seven seven A wedding. Um. Basically, mm-hmm. shoot where I staged a lesbian wedding. Right. Those are very like. Um, When I conceptualized the shoot, I already could see what it was going to be like, and it was a matter of looking for references that visually looked like what I was trying to do so that other people could understand what I saw in my head, and then there's the other group, which is kind of more like what you're talking about, which is like when you see something that inspires you on Instagram, on Pinterest, I think most people just take that reference and just shoot it, like a copy of it or something similar to it. But what I like to do is like after I see the image, sometimes I reverse the image search to see like where the image actually is from. And mm-hmm. then I'll try and see if like this photographer is ripping off another photographer or painting. So I try and trace the image mm-hmm. to its origin. Um, also just out of curiosity to see if there's more to it or if it's just like a visual thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this, I think
2: that's really important.
1: Nadia has, whole, yeah.
2: <laughs> Nadia has a whole... Yeah. Nadia has a whole lecture about like, comparing fashion
1: photography to mm. paintings like Ophelia. Can I crash? Uh, like, I would love to. <laughs> Please, your yes, class. do
0: come. <laughs> I, I call it the old made new again, um, you know, and talking about how like fashion photographers refer to other fashion photographers, but sometimes we think that the buck ends there, but it doesn't, it goes even further back. And then if we think that some shoots are really controversial now, they were even more risky, you know, in the original version things like that
1: yeah so Uh, that's so interesting and also this is actually a big topic that for example i think me and danny have talked about before in the past like now in this age of like replication and like extreme referencing um i i am so okay i never had an arts education um and i only like really only got started educating myself on like art and photography like maybe in 2015 um Mm -hmm. all like self-study so like when i discovered a lot of these images that i had seen before, like an an adaptation by a modern photographer, I'm always so shocked at how old some of these references are, like Mm. so much of it is like 1920s, like Mm. surrealist photographers, Harper's Bazaar photographers, and all that stuff, and I'm like, oh my god, so like, have we progressed? Are we all just referencing pictures from the 20s, when photography was invented? Yeah,
0: it's actually quite shocking at times, and Um, I mean, then, you know, could you tell us more about what else you look at then? I mean, you know, the students are always thinking like, oh, you know, the first place to go to is Instagram and Pinterest. And I think we all do that to some extent. Um, But no, we're always trying to tell them, go to the museums, go to like read books that are outside of like fashion or art. Um, What do you like to look at or what do you like to read, you know, to get inspired um, away from all this replication, I guess?
1: So I think like Pinterest and Instagram are great starting points. But the biggest difference is that you kind of need that existing knowledge to substantiate. Um, you need a background like library that almost you can pull from, so that when you see these things that inspire you on Pinterest or Instagram, you can immediately say like, "Oh yeah, this re- this reminds me of Cubism because blah blah blah," and then mm. you can go back and like, explore Cubism. So like, I think so much of it fundamentally, or you already need that inherent like knowledge or like library to check back to. Because when I was younger and I was looking at all these sources, I didn't even have an inkling of how to start looking for the original image. Like, even if I saw it, I had no idea what they were referencing. I'm just like, oh, this person is so creative. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I think, unfortunately, a big part of it is you really have to study your history and you have to, like, put in the effort in, like, (sighs) figuring out, like, you know, learning. Yeah. All that stuff.
0: Yeah, the learning yeah. never stops. I mean, we've all been there, right? At some point in time, we're like, oh, wow, this is so cool. And we didn't know, like, what it's all about. And then it just sort of <laughs> ends there. But yeah, and then as we discover more, we're like, oh, my God. Like, mind blown. There's, like, a whole universe out there, you know, of ideas that I can be inspired by. Yeah, um, and to kind
1: of, like bring it back to laundry day, for example. Yeah. It's like, oh, I had this idea of, like, um, oh, I think, actually, I, I never realized this until I went overseas. But, oh, damn, like, actually, the laundry <laughs> pole is so interesting because other people don't use it everyone uses dryers True. and I was like oh ah, shit and like so what happened there was that I already had a lot of like existing knowledge or references in my head from being a fashion blogger basically being a fan of fashion for so long that I was like oh maybe this could be a way of shooting this laundry pole that would feel current or like this is a way of doing it that would feel blah 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 and I'm able to like you know quickly co- cross-reference like Oh, recent designer collections that look look like they would hang well, you know, or mm. like oh the usage of blah blah blah. So so much of it is really just like what you already know and then kind of like being able to pull it together in your head. Mm. funny
0: Finding the intersections that make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I guess that
2: that can be seen in the way your work developed as well. And um I, I remember I wrote to you about it because I was super excited when I found out that you photographed the AI influencer, Lil Michaela. Is she the most famous person you photographed?
1: Oh my god, I think so. Actually,
2: I, I don't <laughs> think she's more famous or Dylan Sprouse. Mm-hmm. Well, she's definitely one for the books. And I, was, I asked you whether you were able to talk about it or it was... Uh, under NDA and you said, yeah, it's a non-disclosure <laughs> agreement, <laughs> but maybe without uh, getting yourself into legal trouble, um, could you speak about the concept and experience of that cover and that, and that story and how it came about? Oh.
1: Sure. So actually, Love Michaela was one hell of a... Um, okay, so basically I was supposed to shoot this other actress from Riverdale so also someone very famous, and I was very excited. <laughs> but what happened was that Riverdale extended their shooting by a day, so she couldn't fly back in time for our shoot. So I thought of asking Leo Michaela because she is, as you know, not real. So I figured like, it would be much easier to coordinate a time with her. like you know, cause
2: Interesting. Pro- so pro- what's your idea?
1: So basically, I knew their PR already from previous shoots. Leo mm. Michaela has a PR, of course. Mm. And it's of the course. same PR as York and Zane. Uh, York, By the way, Bjork, I think that's wild, but so I really knew them, I was like, hey, you know, we have this cover shoot, um, do you have any celebrities available, and they were like, well, it's little Mikayla, <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it, so then um, we shot her in a hotel, um, and I still remember, like, at that time, I had to explain to the hotel, like, look, the person I'm shooting is really famous, she's not real, but she's really, really famous, go so check out her Instagram. <laughs> Like, is it cool if you let us use the space for free? Like, like, is there anything we can do? So they were, and this is very unusual Because in LA, like, every location has to be paid for Like, there's everywhere you need a location permit Even in the park, even on the beach wow. So it was like, super strict So, like, they relented and, let us, um, and let, let us use it for the shoot And while we were shooting, like, um, the t- she came with a team Okay, and her wow. team was like You're not allowed to call her Lil Mikaela when you're shooting her so, oh, like, wow. so that no one knows what we're actually doing, so that no one oh, can figure okay. out what's actually happening. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And, and I think what was most intriguing for me was that the images are exactly what I shot. And I know that sounds um, like duh, right, but I actually think that's so incredible that whatever like rendering technology or whatever they use is so accurate that it's exactly the image I, I shot, you know, except that she's suddenly in the, in the photo, like, that's actually so much more difficult than, for example, rendering the entire image. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: That's true. Yeah.
0: Even you if you're talking,
1: start that life element.
0: <laughs> even if you're talking, it like boggles the mind because I'm just like, she came with a team. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> you
1: know? She came with a team. She has a team. There was a person. She has a PR. She has a PR. She's she a real person. <laughs> actually, my biggest takeaway from Leo Mikela is that all celebrities are not real. Like Uh, if you think about it If you think about it Rihanna's a brand (laughs) Like how much of Rihanna's Brand decisions Is she involved in Or does she have A very good team Backing her And saying like This is what Rihanna Would do And it's really not that Different from Leo Michaela Like I mean There's there's Fenty And then there's like Fenty Beauty And then the Savage Like how much of it Is it possible for Rihanna To be truly the one Directing Mm. Every part of it Right So it's like Almost like They have a I'm sure it's like almost like they agree on this is Rihanna's brand and Mm. what would Rihanna do in that case and they make decisions based on that. So even though Rihanna is involved and Rihanna has shaped her own brand, we cannot discount the huge teams like surrounding these people and making all these creative decisions um, for them.
0: Yeah, so true. Something to mull over I think And I I also think I mean the whole Little Michaela thing Is like To me It's a commentary On precisely that right Like If that works If influencers work Then why wouldn't um, An AI individual
1: Yeah And I also think Like you know We've actually gotten To the point where Influencers No offence To all my influencer friends But influencers Have become so interchangeable and, And Even celebrities Have become so interchangeable That As long as you have The baseline talent It doesn't matter Who is there what matters is the creative decisions. What matters is the marketing. What matters is who's pushing her, or or him. Yeah.
0: So because I said,
1: exactly, Lil Michaela is actually so much so ideal as a celebrity because you don't need to worry about her tensions You don't need to worry about her feelings. She's gonna do exactly what you want to do, and she churns out the same amount of money. Hmm. <laughs> Very disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> now, even even the
0: question you started with With the PR company you were like, which celebrity do you have available?
1: That is, it
0: kind of goes to show like how interchangeable they are.
1: Yeah, and she's eternally available, you know?
0: (laughs) Okay
2: She can be in multiple places at the same time Maybe
1: we should all try to
0: create an AI influence and all
1: (laughs) I I think we can I mean, it's a test of your branding skills I I think at the end of the day How good are you at branding or marketing something? That's the true genius of Lil Mikaela Yeah
0: Okay Getting back on track to your career. <laughs>
1: um,
0: well, you, you just talked about how you, know, you were shooting in LA and of course you've travelled widely. Um, you went to Tokyo, New York, you know, all these different places in search of the right place, I guess, to develop your work. Um, how has living in various cities shaped you as a
1: photographer? Okay, I think it's kind of important to go into the why I ended up travelling at all. It's pretty, pretty damn funny. So um, I've already known like Mashup, Danny, And crew um, Even before I went to Tokyo So what happened was that I got booked for this shoot With Lily Cole Which was gonna happen in Bintan And for all the young listeners out there Lily Cole is a British supermodel (laughs) Who used to be a huge deal Data Heath Ledger was in so many movies She was as big as it gets Like she was a real supermodel and I was only twenty-one at that time, and I was like, "Oh my god, I'm going to shoot Lily Cole. Oh, this is going to be my big break. Like after this, I'm going to make it. Finally, I'm kind a legit fashion photographer." Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so then I went on that trip, and I quickly discovered that I was way too Singaporean to to deal with the shoot. And I specifically say, say Singaporean because I was having such a hard time talking to everyone else on the shoot. I didn't know how to carry it myself. I didn't know how to carry a conversation. Everything I could talk about were very Singaporean basic concerns. And it really like put into perspective what a bubble we live in. Um, Lily at that time was only two years older than me, I think. But we had nothing to talk about. And we were stuck together for three days. Um, They didn't let me bring a crew. Like there were a lot of things here that were amateur mistakes that never would have happened if I was more experienced. Like I didn't know how to cope with the situation. For example, like the client made me walk into the sea. To take a shot of her The shot that you used At the start of the slides um, And I don't know if you know this But like the base of the ocean Is rocky mm. So it's not actually possible <laughs> To casually walk into the sea Like that So first of all It's incredibly dangerous It's like um, jeopardizing the equipment As well But because yeah. I was alone And I was surrounded by people So much more powerful Than I was uh, When I said I don't think it's a good idea uh, I believe Lily t- said to me Like Don't be a baby Like just do it Or something along those wow. lines <laughs> So um, obviously, that was already the impression I was giving off with all of my true, like, I don't know, ignorance um, and shelteredness. So I did it and I fell into the sea while doing it. I climbed on some rocks, I slipped on some moss, um, I fell, my whole arm was bleeding. Mm -hmm. And even as I was bleeding, the client was like, do you need a band-aid for your boo-boo? Like, it was so dismissive and condescending. And so obviously, after that experience, I cried. I went to the restroom and I cried my eyes out and I was like if I can't shoot a supermodel what kind of damn photographer am I like I must be the worst photographer in the world if I can't Mm. take a good photo of a supermodel um but I think that was the first time it really put into perspective for me like what is needed to be a photographer like it isn't just about your ability to take a photo it is also like essentially a business it's also essentially like your ability to carry a conversation with your subject, to put them at ease, to be able to handle such tricky situations, um, to be able to have the wisdom to tell them from the beginning, no, I, I can't do this shit without my team. Even if I pay for all of them to come down, we need them for this to work. So like when I shot Lily, she did her own makeup, like her own hair and makeup, and she styled herself. And as beautiful as she is, like, she, like she's not the best person for the job. And the whole thing was unprofessional and the images looked unprofessional because it was handled unprofessionally. Mm. You know, it's not about how much I was I wasn't getting paid because I, I didn't get paid at all. But it was about knowing, having, having the foresight to say, to make a good photo, this is what I need. In order to get what you want, this is what we need. This is the baseline, you know. Mm. So uh, another big, and, and like I mentioned, you know, that whole like Singaporean brand of like shelteredness and bubble ignorance. Um, as that all happened, I was like, holy shit, I I need to grow up. And at the time, I was only 21, and I was like, I don't have time to grow up if I want to be a photographer. I need to speed this process up. So that's why I saved up all the money I made from my first ever big shoot. I think it was a lookbook shoot for NAFA, like all of their students. (laughs) I saved up everything I earned. I think it was only like $5,000 at the end. And I went to Japan on my own for three months, and I lived alone. And I didn't know anyone there. I was w- very young, very ignorant, very stupid. Didn't know that they don't speak English. So I, I mean, yeah, so I went there not speaking Japanese. Couldn't communicate to anyone, lived alone. Lived 40 minutes outside Tokyo because that was the only rental I could afford. Um, couldn't even talk to my roommates. Like, no way of communicating. So, actually looking back it's so surreal. Um, and I was <laughs> so broke, I ate like a meal a day. Um, But, like, all these experiences, like, was, I mean, it worked. It was very painful, but it really forced me to grow up. It forced me to learn how to talk to people, strangers, uh, how to deal with difficult situations, how to be independent, how to do my laundry, how to cook. Things that I never would have had to even try doing while living in Singapore. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So, that's kind of how it began. And then I think I realized... um, I wanted to go back to Japan, actually, and then I, I came back to Singapore, I studied Japanese a year full time, so now I'm quite conversational. And then I went back and discovered that, oh, now that I can speak Japanese, I understand what's going on now. Um, it's actually a lot more misogynistic and more patriarchal than I ever fully realized. And, I, at, and on that same trip, this was like three years later, on that same trip, I got featured on Teen Vogue in the US. And then I was like, oh, actually, maybe I should go to an English-speaking country. And maybe, like, is this a sign that maybe Americans (laughs) like my work? So that's how I ended up in LA. And then because I was in LA, that's how I ended up in New York. So I wouldn't say, like, it was very intentional, this entire journey. Um, It was more of a, like, I tried something crazy and then opportunities uh, came about because of that. And then I just ran with it.
0: Yeah, But it sounds like you've been very reflective as well. Like, you know, something happens in, like, okay, let me think about this. Like, what does this tell me and how can I make it better? and then like let's do this and yeah i mean it just sounds like preparation meets opportunity um zero
1: preparation but some self-awareness meets opportunity
0: (laughs) yeah i mean actually the first shoot sounds horrendous like you know just the fact that you were treated i i feel pretty in a pretty exploitative fashion um But I think, you know, it happens and yeah, we just have to um, be smart about it or to like try to avoid making that happen again. Because, you know, sometimes our students or our ex-students come back and tell us these stories and then we're like, yeah, you know, it's tough, but you got to toughen up. And um, yeah, but it's true, right? That's how I guess, you know, we all have that, those kind of moments as well. Um, I think, you know, if you are to look back at all these sort of like misadventures and also, you know, wonderful adventures you've had along the way what do you think has been your formula for success so far you know you you say in like a article in Chow magazine i think that you have been in the right place at the right time and always with a portfolio at hand
1: somehow that was the impression i got from this this is accurate and this is very funny (laughs) um basically so okay so because of what happened in japan yeah um where i was actually lucky enough to book jobs with like l girl and nylon like through drinking, partying, and like completely ridiculous ways. Um, <laughs> after learning from that experience, I came when I went to LA. I was very scared that I would have to go through the same thing. So when when I approached LA, I was very prepared. I sent out cold emails before I went, like hundreds of cold emails to like anyone that seemed relevant. Wow. I um, you know I looked for a place to stay and have funds for a change, um, and. <laughs> I really, and also because it was in English, like, also the barrier is really different. And also America is a country of, like, not America, but um, LA and New York specifically always, to me, feels like a city of old teenagers. It's like everyone is still living, like, a very, like, happening, like, 20-something-year-old life. But also, like, actual adulting things have been simplified to the point where, like, it's incredibly manageable for anyone who, who wants to tackle it. So it's also like a beginner stage kind of city, city to live in. Actually, that's not true. New York's quite crazy. But anyway, so, um, oh no, what, what was I talking about? I got so sidetracked. Oh, oh the portfolio like, in portfolio. hand thing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so when I went to LA, um, I always had my iPad with me. And thanks to Mickey, one of my friends, who's a graphic designer, she designed for me this really amazing interactive portfolio on my iPad where, like, you know, you swipe in different directions. It's not just up and down. It's not just next page. So I brought it along with me and like anytime someone was like, oh, what kind of work do you do? I was like, oh, actually, do you want to take a look? And <laughs> they're like, sure. I'm like, okay. And I'll just take it out and take out the iPad. And there was this one time where like this really famous um, Australian fashion blogger, um, I was for some reason at her house for a house party. And and then um, <laughs> and then this girl who's super drunk started saying like, are you a photographer? I could totally model. Like, <laughs> what kind of work do you do? I was like, oh, do you want to see it? What I didn't know is that she was Ruby Rose's ex-girlfriend. Wow. Very drunk girl. So, my my friend, um, till this day, uh, who brought me to the party will not, will never not make fun of me about the fucking iPad. But, <laughs> um but, it paid, it paid off, like, because it, it's like, it's one thing to say, like, yeah, follow me on Instagram, show me your work, versus like, Handing to them this very extreme packaged experience of like how to look at your work, because you know also when you curate a portfolio, the order in which you see the image is so important. Mm. Uh, So like it's almost like I created these scenarios where I left nothing up to chance, and I was like, this is my work. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think we have to we have to teach our students this. Like, just be aggressive and in
0: your face about it.
1: Like, here's my portfolio. (laughs) This never would have worked if it was when I was in Japan. Okay, like I course. feel like mm-hmm. I could only flex like this because I had really reached a certain point, point where I felt good about my work, where I knew that I made beautiful images, even if conceptually there was still a long way to go. Mm-hmm. So I felt I felt secure enough that like if I showed, if I if I could just get through that first part and make people look at my work, it will leave an impression and it would probably be a good impression. So like that, I, it's also like not something you should be trying when you're just starting out. <laughs> yeah. crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. Because sometimes me, you only
2: get one chance.
0: Exactly yeah but that go getting spirit is just like amazing um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and um, you do quite a bit
2: of personal projects as well as commercial projects, and in recent years, you have been doing a lot of stuff that's been inspired by Singapore, um, funnily enough, after going outside of Singapore, um, so for the um, this specific project 377 wedding singapore 377 wedding um could you talk a little bit about it how has it been received
1: what kind of feedback positive and negative have you gotten for it sure so um to to contextualize i think you know especially living in la and like showing my work to so many people uh, one one question that kept coming up was aren't you from an asian country why is your portfolio entirely made up of white people
2: <laughs> um
1: so that actually more than anything else, made me question, actually, yeah, huh, why we live in Asia and there's zero, Okay, it's a very, very small market of um, Caucasians living here. Uh, why are we constantly pandering to them? Or why are we using them to pander to ourselves? So, like, it was only going abroad that gave me the perspective I needed to question all of these things that are like, traditions that I had taken for granted in Singapore about how we do our marketing, how we take our photos, what fashion photography is supposed to look like. Um, and... It was because of that that after I left, I started doing so much work about Singapore because I realized in, in showing my work to so many people, especially abroad and all these like fashion capitals, it made me realize that I had nothing interesting to say because I was trying very hard to replicate their photography. I was trying very hard to do this Eurocentric style that made no sense whatsoever considering where I came from. So it was only through that kind of introspection, I guess, that made me realize, oh, actually the most interesting work I could do, possibly do is actually about Singapore About things that only I know That perhaps other fashion photographers abroad Might not even know about um, So 377A wedding Is actually named after the penal code So like section 377A that you know criminalises Homosexuality um, Basically what happened was that I was uh, This was already when I was in New York And I was living there for a couple of months already And people were trying to repeal 377A And um, I'm bi So obviously I posted in support of that and then to my, to my horror and surprise, um, a lot of friends, people my age, my peers, messaged me and said things like, aren't you scared that if gay, gay sex is legalized, there'll be an AIDS outbreak in Singapore? Wow. And so I was like, are... mm. yo, sex in Singapore really needs work, man. And more than that, I think it put into, especially living in a city like New York, where homosexuality is fully legalized, where marriage is a norm, there's literally no fight for even pride anymore because it's such a non-issue. Mm. Um, living in a city like that and then receiving messages like that really, really put into perspective like our very narrow mindset as Singaporeans and how like affected by religion and so-called morals um, it is. And also one reason why it seems like we're just unable to move past it because everyone views it as a moral issue. So because mm. of that, um, also because my parents are... Catholic and very very against uh, Homosexuality in all forms um, Because of that I felt like I felt very sad And then I thought of Shooting this In the style of my parents wedding So I all for all the images in this shoot I referenced my family albums mm. And I cast mm-hmm. uh, two female actresses Who identify as not straight Very interesting <laughs> identify. Um, and, and Staged, basically recreated my parents wedding But just with two different people. And I think I was kind of like hoping to re- appeal to their empathy and help them see how normal and how how simple this wish is to get married to someone you love, like just someone of the same gender. Like there really is no big deal. It's not like after you get married, then the gates are hell open, you know? Like it's really just kind of casual and just simple and easy. Small thing. I think it's a small thing. So... Yeah, I was, uh, that's, that's kind of where my hit was at when I made this series. Yeah. Well, how did they react to it? How did your parents react uh, to it? Um, <laughs> can I say no reaction? I mean, like, they obviously have feelings about it, but they don't want to tell me what they are. Okay. And my, parent, my mom saw it even before I ever told her about this series. I didn't even tell her when I shot it. Mm. I waited oh. until um, the objective show, and I was like, hey, since you're in Singapore, do you want to go and see? And she was, she was like, oh, the wedding one? And I was like, wait, oh, wow. <laughs> what? So, I mean, my, I think my relationship with my parents have improved a lot during Circuit Breaker. But regardless of how much it's improved, like, this one's really like, something that feels impossible for us to overcome. It's almost like asking her to choose between like, do I accept my religion and all of its beliefs or do I accept my daughter and everything that comes with her? Because mm-hmm. like, there, there really is no overlap where they can both sit comfortably.
0: Mm. I can understand that, I think, yeah. Um, okay, well, I mean, you you also tried to kind of feature more of Singapore I mean, in the recent um, Grazia Croatia shoot, right, that you just put up on Instagram. Um, what were you trying to show of Singapore in, in that?
1: Right, so that shoot, I remember, like, it came about because this magazine that's not Grazia Croatia had given me the opportunity to shoot a cover, and they wanted something very, like, um... Uh, I'm just going to put it this way, a, a, a white, a Eurocentric idea of what being Asian means. Like that's what the mm. magazine wanted from me. And they wanted, it, they wanted a cover shoot um, in, the, in the vein. And when I landed in Singapore, I think for a different job, I, I, I saw how the plane literally landed in haze and I couldn't see outside the window at all. And I also thought about how like, oh, actually the haze is such a like, it's actually kind of a big deal. Uh, it's also kind of an extreme, um, this was also when Greta Thunberg was, was protesting for climate change and all that. And it really got me thinking about how like, this particular thing that happens in Southeast Asia every year since the 1970s, which is insane, has such an obvious solution, right? Um, stop, stop, stop burning forests. Stop, stop, stop rubber plantations from burning forests in Indonesia. I think that's it, right? Like, just stop that practice. Like, it can easily be done with legislation. Um, so I think everything combined, I like, really put into perspective how impossible it is sometimes to overcome these issues that we know seemingly obviously was the right thing to do, but for whatever reasons, political, <sighs> capitalism, whatever, seems impossible impossible to achieve. So I think in my head, I like, took it to the most extreme end, which is like, oh, imagine if um, Singapore really like just has this post-apocalyptic state as a result of like this haze, and we are f- this is, uh, this is after the world, Singapore has ended, and we have to start again anew. I think that was kind of the idea for this shoot. Um, it felt very mm-hmm. timely then because of climate change, but I find it so funny how, like, now it came out months later, half a year later, in Greta Croatia, Croatia during COVID, mm-hmm. and how they mm-hmm. actually repurposed this as a vision of a life after COVID, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Another series that you've
2: been doing as a response to the pandemic and the idea of lockdown, um, and you've been interviewed for it from a few magazines already. So it was a series that you did on your Instagram called "More People." Sorry, um, people I miss photographed. Yeah, Yeah, people I miss um, that you photographed on Facetime. Mm -hmm. Um, And how did it come about? And how do you? What What do you push in every single? single one that single series that you do
1: right so um this idea actually was a super wholesome like 3 a.m thought i was like oh like you know since i'm facetiming so many people wouldn't it be cute if i made photos of them it was like a really wholesome like oh tribute to my friends kind of idea and then that first night when i had that idea i think i just spammed like 30 people like hey do you want to do it it'll be fun blah, blah, blah. um that was a lie it was not fun for anyone it was really <laughs> it's really intense <laughs> Um, but I think the first person I shot was Shaft, um, yes. and, and I am personally amazed at how quickly it got capitalized. This very wholesome, cute um, friendship project. Um, basically, what the process was that I, I okay, so I asked everyone that first night, and then I was like, okay, I should be organized, so I, so I put it all on an Excel sheet, and then I looked <laughs> at the list, and I was like, I can't shoot everyone the same way, everyone's house is different what everyone has is different. So I started mood boarding, an uh, individual mood board for every wow. single person. And I was like, um, okay, and then it started going, and then me entering fashion photographer mode, and I was like, well, you know, if I'm going to conceptualize something, it should fit their personality. <laughs> so then it started being like references of what I think made, made sense for them. Uh, and that's kind of how, how it came about. And then the actual shoot process, like I'm literally just a very um, demanding voice on a phone. Um, <laughs> and I shoot the images directly through FaceTime. So they'll set up the phone, like either on the tripod, leaning on some books. And then I'll tell them, okay, move move the camera to the left, move the camera to the right. Okay, try this, try that. And like lighting, I'll tell them how to set it up. Like I'll just guide them through every, every part of the process. Or like we'll experiment and see what looks good. And yeah, that's really how we did it. But it, it was yeah. a lot of work for every single person. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It, the images are really good, and you're you're playing a lot with light and composition and um, texture they, Yeah, it, it it's no wonder that it got capitalised very quickly. <laughs> Thank you. Was I it think. extra
0: aggravating that you couldn't really be in the control, like how to move the camera or like you know things like that that you can do in person at a normal shoot? What was the most annoying thing?
1: You you nailed it. Um, I would <laughs> I think that these face time shoots are. Infinitely more difficult to do than a shoot in real life. Mm. Um, just telling people where to put the camera is so frustrating <laughs> and so challenging and so difficult, and it's dependent on so many factors that I can't see. Like, mm. what are they putting the the damn phone on? Like, how are they raising it? I have no idea. And so, like, it's really just teamwork. But I think it helped that because this whole series was with friends. So everyone was very accommodating and everyone also knew like my very extreme pattern already. So I think everyone was like kind of prepared for, for how mm. ridiculous it was gonna be. Um, <laughs>
0: sure. But
1: yeah, but I think there were so many things out of our control. And there are a lot of these shoes we had to try twice. Like for example, uh. Debbie, who's on the right with the mirror, um, mirror facing the sky and she mm-hmm. does the, the, the Geta shoes. Just the first day we tried was completely overcast and the photos just look terrible. So then we, she, mm. uh, we were like, okay, let's try again another time. And then one random day she texted me and she's like, there's son, let's go now, let's do it. And then she dragged the camera out and I called her and then she, got her, she called a friend to help her hold the camera. And then like, we just scrambled together, all done. So big production. Very oh, big production. <laughs> how long
0: does each shoot last?
1: Oh my God. So, uh, between one to three hours. Oh my goodness. But to be we on the phone, phone for that <laughs> long. Time. <laughs> yeah, and it's so tiring to keep talking. I'm sure you guys understand because you hmm. podcast. But <laughs> talking, just talking, is strangely like very um, emotionally and mentally demanding. Yeah, and yeah. they are you your hands and feet and eyes also. Yeah, yeah they are. They yep. are doing five people's work. You know, like these people. Yeah. So pro- props to them. Like I really, I don't deserve the credit. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, we'll so take nice, it away yeah.
0: from you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice that everyone's just like, yes, let's do this. I think everyone's just bored at home and want to like do something that has a result, a product in the end. I just think.
1: Yeah, but also is, prop, props yeah. to these people because like I asked these 30 people their first day randomly in the middle of the night. So uh, everyone said okay without even realizing what they were getting themselves into or what it looked like. So it's like really like blind faith, you know? And even when I was Because like, they have
0: trust in you. Yeah, you've yeah. earned that.
1: I mean, these are, <laughs> these are good friends, so yeah. I was lucky And then I also noticed Like some of them Will ask like Wait how did The other person Shoot go And then you will be like Oh You mean It's like this Or some of them Get competitive And then they start Escalating like The props in <laughs> their own shoes. I can do this And this And, yeah, and they're like <laughs> and then they I can start contort
0: actually, my body
1: <laughs> Yeah and they actually Start paying attention To like Actually the light Is best at 6 6.37pm 6. Oh You know And then they like Take note of this And like Okay we shoot then You know So <laughs> it, it was cute Yeah okay. Well,
0: how do you strike a balance then between commercial and more personal projects? I mean, maybe just talk about how it is right now, you know, um, while we are still kind of in lockdown, essentially.
1: Do you um, still get,
0: you know, commercial work
1: done? I'm very lucky. I'm getting a lot of remote shoots. I've had clients send things to my house and so I can do like still life shoots at home. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I'm definitely like super blessed. I I think like the separation between personal work and commercial work is one that every young creative has to grapple with. In the beginning, I had a very, very hard time working with people because I was so obsessed with getting a good end result for my portfolio. I was very focused on me and my what I wanted out of it, which is very not conducive for commercial work. So as I got older, as I got more secure, as I understood a bit more about... What, I am, what I'm expected to provide as a service provider I became more and more easy going about mm. accommodating people's needs accommodating people's wants um, and because I had better work under my belt I also felt more comfortable like just doing what people wanted for them versus um, trying very hard to dictate my vision and yeah. of course you know that's where the personal shoots come in like test shoots are so important because that's when you get to do literally whatever you want Initially, it was a point of contention for myself that why is my personal work so much better than my client work? Am I letting my clients down? Um, and, like, other thoughts like that. But as I got older, I realized, of course your personal work is so much better because that is a unified vision that's based entirely on you and your your crew or your friends or whatever. But when you're dealing with client work, there are so many other considerations at play. Like, you know, like, if you look at the this spread of, like, facetime images for example you'll notice like there's only like maybe one full full body image two full body images and that's because that's the limitation of the medium so when i'm working with a client for example i have no choice i have to show the full outfit i have to show a certain detail so the images can't be as good as like when we, we are just trying our best to make the best image possible without any restraint
2: yeah because you will have different things that are required and you have different ideas of what makes it a successful image right
0: and i think that's very liberating to know as well i mean i think some of our students would identify with that you know they think like oh you know they go on their first shoot or they do like an internship they get so frustrated because they feel like they're not understood or like you know um what they've done is like so good why doesn't the client want it you know and it's really about understanding that it's a collaboration and actually you are a service provider like you said you know and it's really hard to um i think appreciate that so it's really good that you pointed that out i think
1: yeah, yes, it took yeah. me like six years, seven years to f- to mm-hmm. finally fully empathize with that point and like let it go So good luck <laughs> to all the kids out there, it's gonna take a while, but it's gonna be okay And I actually think like this is also where like financial constraint comes into play mm-hmm. So like I, I mean for me initially it was really difficult because I wasn't making money and like I didn't come from a wealthy family um, so, creating personal work was a true personal expense, an actual like, effort of blood, sweat, and tears, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, when you are able to do more personal work, it is much easier to let go of the client work. Because mm-hmm. you have a, like you said, it's about being heard. Then you have a platform to speak and be accepted fully. Uh, whereas, you know, that you, but you can't, what I'm trying to say is you can't look for that platform in, in client work. It's not the right place to do so.
2: Yeah. Speaking about platforms, you recently, under lockdown, began with a group of photographers, a book club, where you guys discuss different themes around photographer, photography weekly.
1: So what prompted this collective effort? Right. Um, I mean, okay, so, because I'm living in New York, and um, New York is very much about self-care. New York is very much about the individual. America is very much about the individual, and in many ways, like, this kind of hedonism that in a culture like ours, an um, Asian culture like ours, it doesn't really exist. So when I was living there, I felt like um, I got sucked into that kind of, like, idea of individualism, individualism, nihilism, <laughs> hedonism, all these isms, um, and everything was about me, 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 especially in a city like New York, where it's, like, um, if you can't take care of yourself and get your shit done, don't don't even think about it. No one's going to help you. And that is very much the attitude and the energy of the entire city. So after living in a place like that for a really long time, coming back to Singapore to a bit of adjusting. Um, and also because of what was happening with COVID, um, I think there was, for me, a very strong desire to want to do something more than that was just about me. And there was a very strong desire to reach out and help people connect and make uh, make the, this time that this time, where we're, this time where all our hands are basically tied to find a meaningful way to pass time and also to kind of like tackle some of the issues that our industry has been facing, but um, haven't really been answered. So, you know, like, I, I mean, I'm sure all of you know this, but the Singapore industry is incredibly competitive because we perceive ourselves as a small market. And everyone has this like iron rice bowl mentality where it's like, if they book the job, I'm not gonna book that job, so they can't book the job. Um, And as a result, I think it's very cutthroat. So um, when I was actually in in the US, I observed that because they had a lot of good regulations in place, because they were transparent about their rates, uh, because they had proper infrastructure that our creative industry does not have, they don't worry about the same things. They don't worry about healthcare. They don't worry about pay stability. They don't worry about when their next paycheck is going to come. Uh, because you know these, and these are things that so many creatives in Singapore worry about. And even if you shop for like ten, fifteen years, most of most photographers here reach the point where they have to get a side hustle because it's no longer sustainable. Um, and I think the same applies for graphic designers, for creatives, for ad agencies. Like everyone who's a creative in Singapore is perceived to be like a you're doing this as an indulgence. It's not a real job, and there is no real uh, growth to be had from it. It's not a real career. So, again, it was really mind blowing to be in New York and realize, like, oh shit, like, this this is a real job. Like, it's taken seriously. They have everything, like, it works. And when I came back, I was like, you know, like, I really want to tap out that information back to Singapore and kind of, like, improve our industry. And I was like, well, if everyone's in lockdown, there's nothing else we can do anyway. Is this not the best time to tackle these issues and at least have a discussion? So, that's kind of how Book Club started, like, a combination of these things. And also, like, I mentioned before, like, I never studied art history or fashion history like officially and i thought a sharing of knowledge uh, presentation party would be really cute and the initial energy i had in mind for the group was very really, like drinking three minute com. but um that, danny you've been to a few of our sessions and it got really like there's a real like um what do you call it like like debate, debate <laughs> slash lecture energy about the whole the sessions now they're very like um, academic in nature, uh, which I thought was interesting how that turned out. But yeah, that's yeah. the that's the gist of our little book club. Maybe going back to what we know best, like that
0: kind of setting and very
1: serious. And I guess we're all Singaporeans lah. Yeah lah, so like that. <laughs> <also> must study. <laughs> you say, yeah,
0: you, you even <laughs> say tapau, which I thought was so cute.
1: <laughs> tapau the knowledge bag. Yeah. So so I guess
2: th- uh, that is one of the things that you are you have taken away in reflection during the COVID-19 pandemic, the idea of like uh, collaboration, which is very present in your work,
1: physically yeah. as well. Right? And of community, I think, also. Yeah, co- com- I think co- more than collaborations, it's about community and also about resource sharing. I'm very much a socialist, mm-hmm. so <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the idea of like resource sharing like really appeals to me. And I think also because I've been blessed enough to make good money from our industry I know that it is not impossible I think that actually from what I've seen there is there is money to go around but it is being split into two extreme camps which is like very cheap and very expensive um, and I, I you know as a socialist I wish that there was some way to help our comrades uh, divide the wealth <laughs> and more fair for everyone.
2: Oh, uh, universal welfare. Everybody gets, gets a base pay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's not what I'm looking for, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess, last but not least,
0: on you know, that same note, what would you advise aspiring photographers um, in Singapore to do, or aspiring fashion photographers specifically?
1: Um, Well, I think the biggest thing is that you really have to do your homework. You have to know what industry you're getting yourself into. If you want to be a fashion photographer in Singapore, who are the existing photographers? Who are the stylists? Um, Who are the teams that people work with? Who's who in the industry is actually so important, not because you want to pander to them, but because it's very important to have some basic understanding of this market that you're trying to tap into sometimes I think there is an entitlement when it comes to jobs which is like oh I'm really very good already why can't I just book a job especially when you're younger Mm. Uh, but I think um, it's important to be respectful to your colleagues in the industry by you know checking out who they are trying to understand their work um, having some kind of open-mindedness about what there is and also if you don't analyze like the existing market how do you know what you can offer that isn't already being offered. So I think that kind of research is very important. And I think that same kind of like mindset applies to like we were talking about earlier, like looking at references. Um, I mean, there's this really good point that my friend brought up, which is like, if you don't consume a lot of media, if you don't consume a lot of photos, how do you know what a good photo looks like? Mm-hmm. If you don't have that kind of baseline of like understanding what is out there, how do you know if what you have to offer is good or not? And like by whose who's, like, whose married are you basing that on? And also actually another really big one that I that I found super useful is actually something that Danny told me. Oh, uh, wow. so <laughs> Danny told me that I should I should try and fail ten times because it takes ten because the, the average ratio or something like that is that you have to fail ten times and you succeed one time. So ever since she <laughs> told me that I've been working very, very hard at failing so that I can get it out of the way so I can start doing some of the succeeding. Yeah. I think I still stand by that statement. I Mm. I, I really work very hard at the failing part. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess that's
0: all we have from Len. Um, Thank you so much for such um, an enriching discussion. I think both Dan and I have learned a lot, and I'm sure... Everyone listening in will as well. So thank you so much for listening. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe to us um, at in the between uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And we also put up images that relate to our episodes on at In the Between on Instagram. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye. Bye.